when the stroke actually started to happen, his eyes were wide open. And I honestly thought he was just playing a joke because that's what he was like. And I was keep saying, Ken, Ken, Ken. And then I thought, there's something wrong. So I said, I'm going to ring an ambulance, so if you're messing about. While I was on the phone, the side of his face twisted down. So I knew he'd had a stroke then. So they asked us to say goodbye to him then. And then they gave him the injection and he went into a coma. And that was the Saturday night and he didn't actually wake up till the Thursday. And anything up to 48 hours is not good, but they still expect you to wake up. But once it gets past 48 hours of the coma, every hour that goes past, you're less likely to survive. He was on the stroke ward for about six weeks. They wanted to discharge him at the end of six weeks, but at this stage, Ken was completely in a wheelchair. He couldn't even move himself from chair to chair or anything. He had, like, absolutely no speech whatsoever, and he had very, very little understanding. Ask for help. Try and find somebody else that's been through it, because you learn so much, you forget half of it. And when it's raw for somebody, they haven't got a clue what's coming. Hello, I'm Mark Goodyear, and this is Stroke Stories. Welcome. It's the podcast that seeks out and hears from stroke survivors. A common after-effect of stroke is aphasia, which results in difficulties with communication. There are three main types. Receptive aphasia, where the person has issues understanding what's being said to them. Expressive aphasia, where the person has issues expressing themselves, and global aphasia, which is a mix of the two. Recovering from aphasia can differ wildly from person to person. Many stroke survivors don't manage to fully regain their ability to communicate. In this episode, you'll hear from Ken and Trish Olcock from Durham. Ken suffered a stroke in 1998 at the age of 47. Mason's. Yes, you worked at Mason's. And then worked at... You made radiators. Radiators, right. It was good. Good, you know. You had just been learning how to do all the jobs in the factory, Aye. so you could be promoted. Aye. Water. You can remember being Aye. in the bathroom. In the bathroom, and then poof. You came out the bathroom and you dropped your hanky. When the stroke actually started to happen, his eyes were wide open. And I honestly thought he was just playing a joke, because that's what he was like. And I was keep saying, Ken, 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 and then I thought, there's something wrong. So I said, I'm going to ring an ambulance, so if you're messing about. The ambulance came, and while, actually, while I was on the phone, the side of his face twisted down. So I knew he'd had a stroke then. The ambulance came, got him on oxygen, and they took him into hospital, and I followed. And he was still awake, he was still conscious when he was in a and And when I got there... I was horrified because I'd left him in a cubicle on his own. And he was just trying to keep getting off the bed. That's all he wanted to do was get up. Eventually, they took him up to an admissions ward and he just kept on trying to get up and get up and get up. And the doctor said they were going to have to sedate him. And he said to me at that point, he says, we're really not sure that he'll wake up because he's had a very severe stroke. So they asked us to say goodbye to him then. And then they gave him the injection. 
and he went into a coma and that was the Saturday night and he didn't actually wake up till the Thursday and anything up to 48 hours is not good but they still expect you to wake up but once it gets past 48 hours of the coma every hour that goes past you're less likely to survive so Ken went past by quite a bit and when he woke up he didn't know who he was, he didn't know who I was, yeah. he didn't know he had children, he didn't know his name, he knew nothing. Say it. Alcock. Well, second name's Alcock, which is horrendous. And when I told him his name, he wouldn't believe us, he just started laughing. He thought it was <laughs> <Yeah>. hilarious. <laughs> Trish and her family were very close to losing Ken, and he spent a lot of time in hospital. He was on the stroke ward for about six weeks. They wanted to discharge him at the end of six weeks, but at this stage, Ken was completely in a wheelchair. He couldn't even move himself from chair to chair or anything. He had, like, absolutely no speech whatsoever, and he had very, very little understanding. And I had two young children. My youngest was two, and my eldest was six, nearly seven. And the eldest had uncontrolled epilepsy. And I said, you can't send him home like this. We're not ready. We can't, we can't cope. So they put him into rehab. And when he got into rehab, they said he absolutely needed that. And I think you were in there another six weeks, weren't you? You were in about three I months know, altogether. I don't know. Yeah. Uh. So you were in about three months altogether. But when you came home, you still couldn't go from a chair to a chair, could you? You couldn't move yourself. And when they discharged him, they said he'll never, ever walk and he'll never, ever talk. Walk, yeah. walk, walk, this. Well, I can, he had a manual wheelchair, but I had a two-year-old in a pram and I couldn't push the wheelchair and the pram at the same time. So I thought, right, well, he's going to have to walk. He's just going to have to. So every night after we got the kids to bed... I used to strap his bad leg to mine, put his arm round my shoulders, and I literally walked him round the house for hours on end. Hours and hours and hours to try and get a memory cemented in his brain to move his leg. And eventually you started to be able to, first of all, stand, to trust his leg to stand, and then started taking little steps on your mm. own, didn't you? Cabaret. When we went back to the NHS, they fitted him with a caliper. Ah, that's it. Because he's actually got no strength in his leg. He walks from his hip. His leg's actually still quite paralysed. But you did get up and you walked, didn't oh, you? All right. He was absolutely delighted to See. beat the diagnosis, weren't you? Pram. 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 For him to push hey. and lean on. You've got to use your imagination because you get no sort of... There's nothing available as like a walker for somebody that's only got one hand and Ken's right arm's completely paralysed. So there was nothing available. So Jane had an old pram off her daughter, which was a round over handle, so we used that and weighted the bottom of the pram so it didn't tip. Ken's stroke has also impacted his independence. When he's out, it's hard for him because the speech level problems that Ken's got, whenever anybody has a stroke and they lose their speech, the first words that come back are always obscenities. doesn't matter who it is. 
And because Ken's speech is so damaged, he's never really left the obscenities face. So he can go to say good morning and just mutter a load of obscenities at you instead. You can't help shopping, it, can you? Yeah, shopping is, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But the, the general public does not understand, I think, in the way it's being portrayed in the dramas that I've watched is people struggling for the odd word or stammering a bit or nothing shows the public how serious yeah. you can lose your speech after yeah. a stroke. You don't just lose your speech as well, you lose your language. So you can't read, you can't write, you can't count, you don't know the days of the week, you don't know the months of the year, you don't know what country you live in. I mean, his whole speech centre was wiped out. And you've got two speech centres, one's alphabetical and one's by subject. So you might have, like, a section for wild animals that include elephant, zebra, giraffe, and then another one for kitchen implements like kettle, microwave, whatever, and your brain will randomly choose which one to go into. So if Ken's goes into wild animals, he might not say chimpanzee, he might come up with giraffe. But if he goes alphabetically, his brain will come down to C, C-H, and he'll probably say something like church, which is just totally random from what he's trying to say. That's taught him as much as we could after he had the stroke with using the kids' books from school. Neve, hey. That's your granddaughter, hey. isn't it? Robinson. Yeah. Well, you don't always get it right, Ken. Because you, oh, you call sheep moo lambs. You don't always get it right, right do you? It's, uh, and little Neve, who you called oh. Norman for the first six months of her life. <laughs> but the same. <laughs> Ken's stroke was as serious as they come, but he's had constant care and support from his wife Trish, and now he's back on his feet again. Still to come on Stroke Stories, Trish explains that there's still a lack of support when it comes to stroke recovery. We have had some of the best care in the world on the stroke departments, particularly at the Queen Elizabeth Hospital, but we've had some of the worst care as well. And that doesn't help because you've got enough battles to fight without having to fight your hospital. And how gardening has helped Ken. Leeks are friendly. Yeah, you're a leek grower, aren't you? That's his reason for getting out of bed in the morning. Aye, got And it's been his physiotherapy. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., Let's hear how Ken's stroke impacted his family. If he'd had a heart attack, I probably would have understood it a lot more than a stroke at 47. It didn't enter my head. With a heart attack and normal things, you have quite a quick recovery 
and people tend to get on okay, but a stroke is such a slow, slow thing. Schools didn't make allowances for the kids. They really didn't. And I went in about my eldest daughter's homework because at the time it was when Ken was home and I just couldn't get round to doing it with her. And it was reading and the teacher said, well, she can sit and read with her dad. And I said, you don't understand. Her dad can't talk, he can't read. And they were just sort of so dismissive of the trauma that the kids were going through as well. And I think... That's been one of the hardest things, trying to give them as normal a life as we can with all of this going on in the background. I mean, we had to get... Ken's company were really good, they made his pension up, but we've brought our children up on his pension. And because we've had a high pension, we've never had really benefits or anything. The kids, because of Ken's speech, got bullied at school. Jane can't remember Dad before the stroke. Sarah can, because she was nearly seven. And I think it possibly hit her a bit harder. As far as Jane was concerned, there was Dad and he had lots of fun things like wheelchairs and stair lifts and sticks that you could play with. You had your electric wheelchair and she used to sit on your knee and press the buttons and <laughs> take people out in the yeah. metro centre, didn't yeah. you? Hospital, hospital. Oh, yeah. Okay. On the corridor. Oh, yes, sir. Yeah. <laughs> I was standing talking to his occupational therapist on a flat bit at the hospital when Jane went behind his chair and pushed him. And it was quite a steep descent. So the wheelchair starts picking up speed. And Maggie's OT's running down one side... I'm running down the other and we couldn't just grab the back because in those days they didn't have seatbelts on wheelchairs. And when you got to the bottom of this hill, it was automatic doors out into a car park. And there was all these people walking up the corridor and they were just diving out of the way. It was like a comedy film. And Jane's just running behind this wheelchair, absolutely screeching with laughter. Till eventually we caught you up, didn't we? Just before you went in the car park. Mm -hmm. But there was absolutely nothing he could do. And then his speech was so limited, he wasn't even shouting at people to get out the way. They were just hearing this trundling coming towards them. <laughs> Senior school was worse than primary school. They didn't make allowances for anything that was going on. And... No matter how hard you try as the carer, it doesn't matter how much you do, the kids will always get involved in caring for that parent, always. I never wanted that, but it happened. And it's an extra responsibility on them that the schools do not recognise. They don't make allowances, they don't offer the support. I mean, at one point we got Jane to go to young carers and they were really good and supportive of her. She went there for a few for a few months, and I think she really needed it at that point. Sarah wasn't allowed to go to young carers because she had epilepsy, and she wasn't allowed to go because she needed a carer. I think, as well, we've had lots of trouble with benefits. They um, tried to tell Ken that he needed to get a job, 
And uh, I rang them up and I said, look, he can't possibly go back to work. He's got a paralysed arm, a paralysed leg. And the girl said, well, he can work in a call centre. I says, I very much doubt it. But lack of understanding there, it, Ken would never claim benefits in his life. All I had to do was look at his past history. And we have had some of the best care in the world on the stroke departments, particularly at the Queen Elizabeth Hospital, but we've had some of the worst care as well. And that doesn't help because you've got enough battles to fight without having to fight your hospital. You really don't need to be going in and finding them sitting crying because of what's happened with one of the nurses or something. It needs to change and... When he broke his hip last year, he got taken in, obviously, by ambulance. And they said to me, right, we're going to take him through for an X-ray. You go and sit down. And I said, no, I'm going to go with him. Porter came and took him along, and I independently just followed behind. Porter just leaves him in the X-ray room. He'd done his job. Radiographer comes out and shouts his name. Didn't realise it was his name. So the girl goes over and says, are you Ken Alcock? And he, aye. She says, what's your date of birth? He can't tell you his date of birth. And luckily I was there. I explained everything to her. But there's, he didn't even have a wristband on saying who he was. So if I hadn't gone in at that point, he's left so vulnerable. Probably would have started swearing at the girl because he's stressed. And it's not his fault. And the health service need to be more aware of it as well. Trish has started writing a book about her experiences caring for Ken. It's called Gone With The Stroke. And honestly, some of the things that have happened have been so, so funny. Even I sit and cry laughing at them. But I want to get across to everybody what a stroke really means. What losing your speech really means. It's got a ripple effect. It's the whole family. It's not just Ken. Goes out to me, then the kids, then the grandkids, then the ripples just keep growing and growing. When we put out that I was writing a book, the amount of people that's come forward, that's experienced things very similar to us, that are saying, yeah, yeah, this needs to be said. uh, In America, there's lots of people interested. There's Australia, Ireland, Canada, and I won it out by late spring. Ken's stroke continues to affect his mental health. Up and down, sad. You do suffer from depression, don't you? Oh, I take tablets. Yeah, you take happy pills, Mm. don't you? Leak. Off. Friendly. Yeah, you're a leak grower, aren't you? That's his reason for getting out of bed in the morning. And it's been his physiotherapy and it's cost us thousands to keep building up these leak things again, getting new greenhouses, new leak trenches, everything. But it's what keeps them going. But you love spending time with the grandkids, don't you? We've got four. I mean, little Frankie's only 18 months comes and gives Grandad a hand to try and get him to stand up. <laughs> OK. And they all, they've all gone through the phase of swearing because they hear it off Grandad. So Jane, when she was two, she could hold her own in any bar. <laughs> Neve now, she's four, and, but she is 
not swearing at nursery, so that's quite good. She's saving it for us. Frankie's just learning to talk, so he'll be the next one. Oscar, who's three, he has been known to sometimes say what Grandad says, hasn't he? As you get older, I think you're more accepting. And when, you, like, Ken's 70 this year, I would have expected him to be slowing down anyway. But it was because we were so young when it happened. I feel he's had his life robbed from him to an extent, and the kids. But now, we live in a fully adapted bungalow, which is great. It's, oh, it is, hey, isn't it? spot on. Good. Good. It's the best place we've ever oh, lived. We've been hey. there nearly three years. Friend, All the neighbours are really good with them. Oh, hey. They love to get them talking. And I think we're OK, aren't we? Bye. And finally, Trish has advice for other families in a similar situation. Ask for help. Try and find somebody else that's been through it. Because you learn so much, you forget half of it. And when it's raw for somebody, they haven't got a clue what's coming that it can take three years to get an electric wheelchair on the NHS, that it can take four months to get an ordinary wheelchair, that your life is upside down. They ordered your new wheelchair last June when he broke his hip. Like, emotionally as well, find somebody that's been there. Because we had a book page, I'm in touch with quite a few people now who've lived through pretty much what I have and we can be blindingly honest with each other and I think we can say to each other things you would never see outside of that and it is important for the carers and also I would say to other people there's only like one guy remained friends with Ken all of his other friends disappeared they were frightened just John, he's been a good friend to you but all of the rest disappeared, so that leaves Ken isolated. I would like people to know not to be scared of him. He hasn't got speech, but he's still a man. Ken, Trish and the family have been through a lot since Ken had his stroke, and his recovery has been complicated recently by a fall and a subsequent hip operation. But Ken has constant support from his wife, two daughters and extended family and leads a fulfilling and happy life. Next time on Stroke Stories. I smoked at the time. During the meal, I just tried to pick my cigarettes up and I dropped them, didn't think anything of it. And I didn't feel too grand. And I was saying to Leslie, oh, we better go back to your palm and I'm feeling a bit off. On the way back, I was stumbling a little bit. Deep down, I think I knew what was happening. But I was in denial. I didn't want it to be. Please subscribe to our podcast and rate and comment on the episodes you hear because that really does help us spread the word. And if you are or you know of a stroke survivor and have a story to share, please contact us via Twitter or Instagram. Our DMs are always open. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening. Listener.